AARP Indiana, an information resource for Hoosiers about the CARE Act, providing support for caregivers when their loved one enters and leaves the hospital. More at action.aarp.org slash card. The governor puts on a show with a series of bill signings, including a bill to restrict abortion. Two vetoes, including one that lawmakers didn't see coming. The John Gregg strategy, Donald Trump signs stolen in an effort to eliminate food deserts. That plus the Griffith basketball team and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending March 25, 2016. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, Governor Mike Pence signed a number of bills into law, including a controversial bill that restricts abortion in Indiana. He also signed the bill that regulates fantasy sports, and he staged a series of public bill signing ceremonies. During this one at Eagle Creek Elementary in Zionsville, he signed the bill that will eliminate the I-STEP exam. It will also create a 23-member panel of educators who will study and make recommendations about what should replace I-STEP. So I think, I think this panel that we've assembled as well uh, that we'll make appointments to by this May will give us the tools and give us the expertise to develop a test that will work for the next generation of Hoosiers. What was the most significant action taken by the governor this week? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel, Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV State House reporter Jim Shella. And Delaney, did Mike Pence cement his reputation this week? <laughs> well, as an ideologue, he certainly did. I mean, he throws himself in the middle of discussions between a woman and her doctor when all the women Republican legislators in the House speak against this bill as being ill-thought through and... Uh, a tremendous intrusion. He signs that, so he's an ideologue there. The only thing he didn't do, I guess, I, I mean, he broke his promise about expanding gaming because he's got, you know, this, this fantasy sports thing going. But in terms of the other one, he finally at least listened to Glenda Ritz, who said that the I-STEP test was flawed and has been saying that for years. So he's going to do something about that. But instead of letting the, the real educators deal with it, he appoints a partisan panel. He appoints a partisan panel to take ownership of this, so his ideolo ideology will <laughs> intrude itself on what's the best test for students as well. Uh, same question to you. Did he cement his reputation? Well, I'd, I'd say he cemented his reputation as being successful with the legislature. He hasn't every year he's been there, and he was again this year. He got another billion dollars for roads, especially local roads, uh, in a non-budget year without raising taxes. Uh, you included in that the regional cities program with some 97 projects that are going to be funded statewide. Those are two significant parts of a bill that he signed that 
will have a major impact on Indiana in what is considered a non-budget year. So I thought those were a big deal. And uh, as far as the other bills that he has signed, uh, uh, the fantasy sports bill, there was some good in that. I thought uh, the carve-out for the NCAA was a strong thing, so we can't uh, have games played on uh, college or high school sports. Who secured uh, that for him? There was somebody really well, smart Well, I had that. a hand I, in I, that, but still, I think that's important, especially it's for the home of the NCAA. Uh, that was significant. So uh, he did a lot of good things in this session, and uh, I think for being a short session year, they they got a lot done. Uh, if you looked at what the governor was doing this week, it sure looked that way. I mean, have you seen a governor do as many public staged bill signings as this one? Well, I bet you could probably find parallels if you went back far enough. But you can read a lot into that's almost a science or an art uh, or certainly a sport in and of itself. Watching the bill signings, you can tell how governors, regardless of party affiliation, feel about bills and how they want to be portrayed in the public by the way they, the amount of fanfare surrounding a bill signing. And if it's something clearly that, you know, they might just let it become law without a signature or maybe release a statement saying, by the way, the governor signed such and such. When you do it with the pomp, the circumstance, the kids, the, the, the lawmakers at your side, that mean, tells you that, that this is something that, that that governor wants to be known for and associated with. So to answer right. your question, the original one about cementing his, his uh, ideological credentials as it relates to being a pro-life candidate, which I guess he's hoping translates into mobilizing that base or that faction mm -hmm. of the, his constituency come November, well, yeah, he did cement it, I suppose. So four days of staged bill signings, and yet the one bill that everybody uh, seemed to be watching was the abortion bill. Uh, we knew he was going to sign it. We said that here last week. He waited until the last minute mm -hmm. and, and simply issued a statement. But in the meantime, he talked to reporters every day and, and talked about uh, his pro-life credentials. And so your implication is that... You know, he, he's ashamed of it or something, or he's playing I think he wanted, sure of it, maybe. No, I think he was seeking, seeking to get as much publicity as possible without putting himself in a position where he had to defend it publicly. Or, or without no. the picture of Rifra in the background. Well, first of all, Indiana is a very strong pro-life state. It's reflected in the legislature and the makeup of the legislature. And this particular bill started out as a bill that would uh, stop uh, having fetuses dumped into medical waste and then it morphed into something other than that uh, at the end of the day. Uh, you know, there, there are going to be challenges. Clearly, there Planned are Parenthood already they, says they, that they and, will and, file. And, and, and I think you're going to have a problem trying to discern, you know, how a woman decides. I mean, so I, you're I saying, but, but are you saying that he didn't want to be making public statements because he's worried about how they might get used no, in court? No, I, I, think, I think that, you know, he, he's, he didn't have to talk about his credentials about being pro-life. He's been at well all his political career. And uh, it reflects the attitude of this General Assembly. This is a very pro-life General Assembly. It's not pro-life. It's sure pro-birth. It and there's pro a big distinction. It's yes, pro-birth. It because once those children are born, once those children public. are born, there yeah. aren't sufficient resources for them. We don't so, protect them. We don't so do the, any of so the, the things we're talking about doing. And, and medical it has nothing waste. to do with that. The, yes, it is. John, but, but, Mike, that is not what the bill ended up doing. That's what started doing. But that's not what ended up doing. It's still part of it. Well, that may be. And that may actually be. It is, Mike. with the facts, but go ahead. 
It Mike is. thinks he has a. I, a, I did not say that it was not. Okay. Yeah. Now look, that You're bill like and that part of it. Don't interrupt him, Michael. Let's give that part of the bill is probably going to be. Uh, uh, upheld by the courts. But yeah. this other part of the bill, right. which was sneaked in at the last minute and which raised the ire of women in the General Assembly and likely across the state, will probably be struck and I down. I said, I think it's going to be and, challenged and they're going to probably will be. And I think that's why the governor, and I do think that that is why the governor did not want to talk about it. Uh, and did not issue uh, a big signing like he did with everything else. He doesn't want us to focus on how much more money but, he's going to waste. But for the reasons, for the reasons Mike said, you know, the, the, the the, constitu- the feelings of Hoosiers generally and with an election looming, even if he knows this will be uh, knocked down at the uh, court level, it's no different really from the uh, Syrian refugee issue where I think everybody, the conventional wisdom wants, it would be once it was appealed yeah, so we uh, waste in the court. More money. But that doesn't we matter in terms of money. You can still see, be seen. So he's using taxpayer money. I'm saying political terms of being seen the as point, the champion of the cause. Back to the point of cementing his reputation. Yeah. All right. The governor also issued a pair of vetoes this week. One of them is on a bill that would have allowed private college police departments in Indiana to disclose less on-campus crime information than their public counterparts. The bill would have required private colleges to release limited information only if an arrest was made. Pence previously expressed hesitations about the bill and said Thursday that his office will support government accountability. The veto comes as the University of Notre Dame fights a court battle against ESPN after the school refused a request of uh, records on crime investigations involving student-athletes. The rejected bill would have protected the university and 10 other private schools from having to fully comply with such requests. Mike McDaniel, when is the last time a governor vetoed a bill that won almost unanimous approval in the General Assembly? I think the governor felt very strongly that they should be held to the same standard that every other public institution is. And that's what drove his decision on this one. Uh, and it makes sense to me. I mean, it clearly does. And they're, they're, they're trying to, in, in the Notre Dame case, I'm afraid that what they're trying to do is protect, in their mind, protect athletes from having bad publicity. Well, you know, if it's public record in a, in a private institution, or if it's public record in a public institution, that would be public record in a private yeah. institution. I don't think it's just athletes. I think it's all students. Well, they, in this they, case, it they, was, they, they're as, worried about their reputation. As Rex says, there's hypocrisy and there's hypocrisy, hypocrisy and then there's hypocrisy. hypocrisy. This is hypocrisy <laughs> because this governor has been cited 18 times for failure to comply with the open records law. He has been given by the, uh, by the uh, Office of Public Accountability an F for exactly that reason. In his war with the Indianapolis Star, he wouldn't give out the information about hiring a PR firm to, 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 to uh, repair so, the damage he did with Ripper. It is complete hypocrisy for him to do this. Or maybe he's, he's worried maybe about transparency. Maybe he's getting better. Oh, like he did on, like he did, for example, on gambling. Yeah, well, maybe he is. But we'll wait and see whether the next request gets answered in a, a timely fashion or not. Um, the author of this bill was Pat Bauer. Uh, he didn't see this coming. He, he issued a, a statement uh, expressing outrage over the veto. Uh, I don't think anybody saw this one coming. I, I, and, you know, he did hedge before he, he issued the veto. Um, and I will say I think Mike's analysis is, is right on about, um, it, and I won't disagree with yours either, Ann, but I, I think that this can be seen as consistent with his view on some matters when it comes to this. And I do think it's consistent when you should treat a, a sworn police department, whether it's in a private university or a public university, in the same fashion. And so I think, you know, it did catch some, a lot of the legislators uh, off guard. 
I'll be curious to see if they bring it back and, and seek an override uh, in the next session. Well, and they also had it going to the Supreme Court. I mean, well, it only right. went to the Supreme Court. It's not the Supreme Court. All bills have to come back for uh, uh, consideration right now. It's not a matter of oh, somebody all, all of them do? Yeah. All do. Okay. But, but you can, there's a, a special veto consideration day, or you can wait until wait next, next year. Session. Yeah. Um, so it makes a difference on how you handle it. But I think, long, again, I don't think, uh, and I mentioned this last week, and I, this is an issue where I say I don't really hide my feelings as I would on a lot of issues or, or try to avoid having feelings because it is a First Amendment uh, government access, public access issue where I feel that it's the role of the fourth estate to, uh, to represent the best interests of the public. So I applaud the governor for doing what needed to be done. To do anything else would have run counter to what you're seeing across the country so, in both in the legislative arena and in the judicial arena where courts have said the distinction is clear. And that's what the Indiana Court of Appeals said, too. When you have somebody, an officer, who has under state law the right to incarcerate someone, to take, to take, take someone, to pick you up, put you in handcuffs yeah. and take you away and maybe even shoot you, not in that order perhaps, but... Um, that that moves it into another realm. Right. You are a sworn. Uh, you are executing the duties so, of the so you agree uh, under the auspices. The governor should follow the code as well. I think that access uh, in Is public. That a yes? yes, of course. Okay. But, I, but I think you. That's can, all I'm asking for. I, yes but I no, think John. I can be. I can compliment him and laud him on his veto on this bill. Right. I think and, it was the right way to go. And then criticize him for his 18 lapses. I will. Um, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe his, he's, as Jim said, he has seen the light. There will yeah. be time no now. Wait, we'll wait and see. <laughs> time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question Did the governor do the right thing with his veto of the Notre Dame bill? Your choices are A, yes, or B, no. Last week's question. Should Mike Pence keep a campaign promise to sign pro-life legislation? 22% said yes, 78% said no. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. While Mike Pence was making news in a variety of ways this week, his Democratic opponent continued to keep a low pro public profile. So far this year, John Gregg has concentrated on fundraising and grassroots organization and has yet to call a news conference in his second bid for governor. John Ketzenberger, when will John Gregg take a higher profile? Uh, he better start now. Um, the legislature has passed. The governor's had his victory lap. Um, we are entering the phase where it'll be up to John to um, show the reasons why voters should uh, unelect, essentially, uh, Governor Pence. And so, uh, you know, I understand the strategy. I think it makes sense. But he's going to have to uh, really engage, and pretty soon, I think. It's an unusual strategy, isn't it? Well, there's nothing unusual necessarily about trying to get your financial ducks in a row, which, uh, again, as you suggest, Jim, he's spending a lot of time trying to shore up the, the money side of the equation so he can uh, ensure that there is uh, his message is, is broadcast loudly and clearly across the state uh, right up through Election Day. So that part isn't, isn't out of the ordinary. But to pass up an opportunity at free or earned media, um, that maybe is a little unusual because it, it stands to reason when the governor is, is making these high-profile bill signings or vetoes and the media are looking to round out stories, I mean, it's almost a gimme. You're, you're assuming that the, uh, the Democratic nominee, likely Democratic nominee, yeah. would be the, uh, the person who's starring the in, that, who in the role of opposition. You can say he's the Democratic uh, nominee. The Democratic okay, nominee, Democratic nominee is, is passing up an opportunity. So you got a high enough name ID that he can get away with this? No. Uh, uh, he doesn't, really. 
And uh, I think he, I think it's not unusual for him to wait until the legislature is over to really start a campaign. You're still some 200-plus days out from the general election, which is an eternity in politics. But he did not have the best of weeks this week when he did make a public statement when he said uh, in front of somebody that he would not fight to right to work or to uh, uh, track. that's quite what he, he said. He said he would not fight right to work or to repeal the common wage and the union people are going crazy over that statement. Yeah. And in that same statement, he said, and this had quotes around it, because if I'm governor, I'm going to have a supermajority in both houses, so it's already written off any chance of making any progress well, in both houses of the legislature. That was his quote, not mine. Yeah, so if those are the kind of statements he's going to make and make people, the very people who are angry that so far have funded about 70% of his campaign, you know, he might be smart just to keep quiet. He obviously, that was all misconstrued. He is going to deal, oh, okay. he is going to deal okay. with right to work and common wage, and we are going to make inroads in the yeah. House and the Senate. But he's issued five policy statements. He issued a statement about the inadvisability of the governor signing that abortion bill, for example, and on equal pay and on other things. Well, he's he never refused he, he any interviews. Out, he, right, he pointed out that he's still pro-life, but says right, that he would have voted against this and he would have vetoed. As all the women Republicans in the House who are pro-life said the right. same thing, and we're going to waste more taxpayer money for Mike Pence's but, ideological agenda. Well, would you agree it's one thing to respond to inquiries, it's another thing to, to call a news yeah, conference? Yeah, I'm not or, sure at this particular point in the campaign uh, that there's, especially in March Madness Week, that anybody's paying an awful lot of attention. The legislature's just over. There's plenty of time for that. And frankly, Mike Pence keeps shooting himself in the foot repeatedly, and I'd like to see more focus on that, because this is going to be a referendum on Mike Pence, and I don't think he's going to fare very well. Moving on. It looks more and more like the battle for the GOP nomination for president will find its way to Indiana. And one Indianapolis man is already getting a feel for the controversy there. The victim does not want to be shown on camera in fear of retaliation. He supports Donald Trump and has had 15 Trump signs stolen from his yard. He installed a security camera and found people of all ages grabbing the signs and then taking off. He says, regardless of your political beliefs, People have a right to free speech. It's a total infringement on your First Amendment um, right, which is a beautiful thing that we have in America. And uh, there's a lot of countries where you don't have that right. And, um, you know, I, I fully support it. And whether you're liberal or conservative, I think you have the right to support the candidate that you choose. Donald Trump called the sign thieves. <laughs> Losers! Clowns? Um, <laughs> Liars? We, is this Losers. during prime time? Are we, under F, are we under FCC obligations of words we can't say? On? I better not. I'll take. What he would say through a filter is that uh, he would frown upon the uh, the theft of said signs, um, and and he's got a point. You, you hate. There's nothing wrong with vigorous. Uh, political discourse, and I think it's great that people, whether you're for something strongly or against something strongly, if you're in the process and you're engaged, I take my hat off to you. However, you don't, the line stops when you're vandalizing uh, or stealing somebody's property, and, and, and that's where the problem is, it seems to me. This guy, is a, he's a solid supporter. He, you know, $15 a sign, he's bought 15 signs.
You mean he had to buy the signs? <laughs> That's my uh, understanding. I guess, I guess. Well, maybe maybe some they, candidates give them away. So maybe not the th- billionaires. <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe the thieves are, are doing Trump a favor then, because if the guy's still sending fifteen bucks a pop in, you know, it's a pretty good fundraising gig. Trump so. campaign is stealing them and yeah. selling them back. Well, at yeah, a, I, I wouldn't make that kind of nefarious <laughs> implication, but somebody's getting the money out of this. So uh, you know, we've we've seen the level of discourse in the oh, presidential campaign. A level of non. Discourse. Drop again this week. Uh, charges uh, between Ted Cruz and, and Donald Trump about each other's wives. Uh, it's ridiculous. Well, it's it, absolutely ridiculous. The but sign stealing, like, does it, does it he, think it, it filters down to that sort of thing? Oh, well, it certainly filters down to fisticuffs at his rallies. But, you know, obviously this man's entitled to put the sign up. If he wants to put a sign up saying, I support a misogynist bigot, who knows nothing about foreign policy and cares less about even politeness, he's entitled to do it. That sign he can even put up a sign that says, I'm an idiot. The problem with this is, is it's, a, it's a more serious problem because the idea that either Mike, uh, either, uh, it's an interesting slip, either uh, Ted Cruz or Donald Trump is seriously contending for the nomination of the Republican Party for president is frightening. It is absolutely frightening. And, and, I was, you know, I fear for this country. I really do. You, uh, you got a Trump sign? No, I don't have a Trump sign. I, I'm disgusted by this, uh, the coarseness of the discourse, if you will, uh, in this whole campaign, and I, the lack of civility is unbelievable. America is acting like we're watching a reality show instead of picking a president, and I find that to be disgusting. Uh, but uh, this gentleman has a right to put any sign he wants in his yard, and people shouldn't be taking that out of his yard or anybody else's yard. I just think that's wrong. Uh, we all need to chill out and let people believe what they want to believe and uh, display their beliefs the way they want us to display them so that we can move on. You know what I guy? just wonder if he's going to put a, a Mike Pence sign next to that since Mike Pence is prepared to well, support Donald Trump. you never Trump. know. If, if he has a Hillary sign in his yard, believe me, nobody will bother. Oh, I, I don't think she's not going to play Trump. well. She's not going to play Pence, well in Indiana. Mike Pence is supporting Trump. Believe me, Trump. Uh, Hillary's going to lose Indiana. He has committed to support whoever the Republicans nominate. Yeah, it's going to be Donald Trump. Trump. He's John, supporting well, Donald Trump. The irony here is people who are probably antagonistic toward Donald Trump and have taken these signs in, out of spite, perhaps, are. It may be a boomerang effect because this plays into the whole notion. In the Trump camp, that we are the we are the downtrodden, we are the establishment. Everybody else is against we're us. The we're, we're the outsiders. We're standing up, yep. and we have to fight the good fight because people are, you know, playing dirty with That's us. That's right. Those so millionaires, plays, really, plays, billionaires, really have a tough. The theme, they right. have a tough. Yep. Congressman Andre Carson is sponsoring legislation meant to help eliminate food deserts. According to the USDA, Indiana has 500 food deserts. 125 of them are here in Indianapolis. The bill would create a loan program for farmers markets and independent grocery stores. All they have to do in return is provide fresh, unprocessed food and sample items in their selections at below market prices. Mike McDaniel, can legislation solve that problem? Uh, not completely, but I do think it's a good idea to try, and I think uh, this is a serious problem in every urban area in America and in some rural areas in America. Uh, and uh, if we can have legislation that would encourage people to invest in those places and have farmers bring produce to those locations, 
we're all ahead of the game. So I, I, I applaud Congressman Carson for doing this. I think it's a good idea. It's particularly a problem in his district. Well, 125 of them in the Indianapolis area. Yeah, it's a, it's a serious problem, and I think it's a great first step to see if we can bring things other than, you know, soda pop and, and potato chips uh, to vast uh, swaths of the uh, Indianapolis area dependent on public transportation. It'd be great. All right, finally, the Griffith boys basketball team bus rolled over on the way to a semi-state game in Lafayette. 27 people were taken to the hospital, and the game was postponed. Then on Wednesday of this week, the game against Marion was rescheduled, and the Griffith Panthers made a valiant effort. Final seconds, uh, the game was tied at 58. Marion with the ball. A shot is no good, uh, but Marion pulls it out. And Delaney... Is that what high school athletics are all about? I think that's a great story. I mean, they deserve so much credit. That was a having a bus roll is not just simply an accident. That's really a traumatic event. And to get out there and to play the way they played, they ought to be very proud of their effort. Um, and you gotta like the fact that the IHSAA was willing to, to change the schedule and go along with this. Absolutely. I think Commissioner Bobby Cox made the right decision there. This was devastating to that school to have that happen on the way to Lafayette, and uh, it's a good thing for Indiana. It's a great story. It, it's the same school we were talking about a year ago at this right. time, right. Uh, involved in a fight and eliminated from the tournament. That's right, so. and rightly so. But the nice thing about this is that they, they turned it around this year. They had a tremendous year. They had a horrible accident. And they came back from that. It's unfortunate that they weren't able to win, but credit to all the people involved with this, and I hope they have a great year next year. Yeah, these are the kind of stories, I think, that really bring, make Indiana basketball special. Um, and we can all applaud uh, the yeah. efforts that we saw here. And as we record this, uh, Indiana's about to play in the Sweet 16. Uh, <laughs> Speaking of applauding. Yeah, yeah, uh, Tom, Tom, Tom Crean. Safe for the future? Uh, for at least another big game. <laughs> <laughs> Tough crowd. Uh, uh, it's going to be another several games. Yeah. Go Hoosiers. That's Go Indiana Hoosiers. Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney, Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwanis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir or starting Monday. You can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. We'll see you again next week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.